So there's a story that a girl brings home her fiancé to meet her parents. And at one point, the mother says to the father, you take him back and I want you to get to know him a little bit. So the father and the, and the fiancé, they go back and the father says, so what do you do? And what are your plans? And the fiancé says, I'm a Bible scholar and I'm studying to be a theologian. And that's admirable. But how will you provide for my daughter? How will you pay for a house for the two of you? I will study and God will provide, the young man said. The father asked, and how will you buy her the kind of clothing she desires? And where, where will you get the money to buy a car? He replied again, I will study and God will provide. And children, how will you support them? The father asked, I will study and God will provide. Later that night, as they were alone again, the mother asked the father, well, how did it go? He said, well, the bad news is he has no job and no plans. And the good news is he thinks I'm God. Some of the kids are like, I don't get it, right? We better pray together. Amen? Oh, Lord, we give you thanks for your love and grace and for the moments that we have here to hear your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit indeed would make these your words, God, so that we can continue to love and serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Yeah, amen. So one day I was at a church office and I got a phone call and the, the person on the other line says, Pastor John, I bought a new vacuum and I want to give the church one. I thought, well, thank you. That's good. The one we had was a little rickety, kind of old. It hadn't it been sitting in that closet probably forever. It didn't really work all that well. And so I said, well, I appreciate the offer. Yeah, just meet me whatever time and we'll bring it off. And so I hung up and I thought, well, that's pretty nice of that person to do that. Now, after all this has happened, I began to wonder um, if the person, when they called me, didn't consider their words very carefully. Because what I heard was exactly what you heard. Pastor, I bought a new vacuum cleaner, and I want to give the church one. I thought, great, you bought a new vacuum cleaner, and you bought a new vacuum cleaner for the church. That's what I heard. But you want to know what they meant Pastor John, I bought me a nice new vacuum cleaner, and I got this old one I want to give to the church. So you can imagine the look on their face when they brought this old, it was more rickety than the one we already had. It had electrical tape around the cord and everything. It was all dirty and dusty. Where were you keeping this thing? So I said, kindly, I said, we don't need that. I've told that story before and people have said, well, you have to respect the gifts that people gave you. They gave that gift out of their heart. I want to ask you a question. Do you think that person gave the gift out of their heart? No. No. If they did, what kind of heart do you have? <laughs> we have a tendency sometimes if we're not careful, sisters and brothers, if we're not careful, our tendency is to give God what is left. 
And I want to offer to you this morning that to give God what is left is no way for a child of the most high king to live. To give God what is left over is no way for a disciple of Jesus Christ to carry their life through. In our reading today, we're in the book of Exodus and we're reading about, which I think is a, it's a fascinating story. It's a great story. But you need to be reminded of something before we actually jump into that story. This happens towards the end of the book of Exodus. And it happens just a couple of chapters after something else significant happens. You may remember, if you don't, Moses goes up to the mountain and he's praying with God. And Moses is doing his Moses thing up there on the mountain of God. Now Moses is up there and all the people are where? Down there, waiting for Moses. And as they're waiting for Moses, they get a little anxious, right? They wonder, what happened to Moses? What's taking Moses so long? What's his deal? And they start thinking, well, maybe we need to do something. And while Moses is up, up on the mountain praying to God, the people are down here building something. Do any of you remember what they were building? A golden calf. That's right. And then when Moses finally does come down, he, as he's coming down, he hears this commotion. He's like, what? Are the people celebrating? They're praising God without me? This is great. I love when the people of God can do the things of God without me. And as he gets a little closer, he realizes this ain't just a party. This is some bad stuff happening. Because the people of God were worshiping this statue that they made. Everybody say, uh-oh. God gets mad. Moses gets mad. Matter of fact, the text says that God is so mad, he's ready just to be done with all the people. But Moses goes back again, and he stands between God and the people. He says, no, don't do this. Don't do this. And you want to know how merciful God is. And if you want to see the extent of the, the, the patience and the love of God, you look at this story, because even after such a treacherous thing, even after considering how God had taken care of the people, all the things that God had done for the people up to this point, the power that God had shown these people, that they were so willing, because they got a little impatient, they were so willing to offer their worship and praise to a statue, God still says, these are the people I love. The reason why that's significant is because now where we're at today in the part that John read for us, Maybe if you would have been done, if something would have happened to you like that, if somebody would have turned their back on you, if somebody would have said something about you, maybe you would have been done with that person. But God is never done with us. God sees us, knows us, knows everything about us and loves us anyway. God is never done with us. And how do we know that? Even after this golden calf incident, God is merciful and God says, well, I want us to continue to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle is, a, is an impressive feat. Essentially, it's a mobile church, right? It's a church that goes from place to place. And it's not just a little bitty building. It's a, it's a whole area that is surrounded by curtains and everything. There's so much uh, inter, uh, details that go into place about what this tabernacle means. And the word tabernacle, if you think about what this is, it's so powerful. The word itself, without any kind of religious context, simply means dwelling place. And so God says, these people, these stiff-necked people, they've worshipped something else. They were so quick to give their worship to something else. But I love them, and these are my people. 
he doesn't just throw them out. He says, we're still going to build the place where I will dwell with them. And if I were to take just that one little part and give you something that I would want you to remember is that, you know what, when you and I turn our backs on God, because we do, don't we? When you and I fail to be faithful people, when you and I could care less about the things of God, God still says, I want to dwell with you. God still says, I want to be with you because I have promised you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So sometimes people ask, well, how far do you have to go for God to give up on you? I don't know the right response, but all I can do is give you a demonstration. If you feel like you've gone too far away from God, all you have to do is turn back and God is right there. God is right there because God continues to want to dwell with us. God is never through with us. Let me re-say that. God is never through with you. You might want to repeat that to yourself. God is not through with me. And so even after all this has happened, God says we're going to continue to build this tabernacle, this wonderful mobile space of worship. And Moses says, okay, this is what God has told us to do. We're going we're to keep the commands. We're going to get back to those. Those are going to be a part of how we live together. And we're going to build this place together. And I need everyone's participation. I need everyone to get involved. I need everyone to be a part of this work of God. And so he puts out a call. He'll say, those of you who can be generous, you be generous. Those of you who have anything to offer, you offer it to God. So that we can get this thing built. And you you know what happened? You heard what John read. The people responded. The people responded to the call of Moses to continue with the work of God. And you might do well if you look back and say, well, why did they do that? Why were they so willing to give to this building project in a way that apparently they hadn't ever been able to do or wanted to do before. And you could say, well, maybe they were just full of shame. Maybe they were feeling a little guilty. Maybe they were feeling a little responsible to get this done. And you might be, there might be some truth to that answer. You might be right that there's some people who feel like, man, that whole golden calf thing, I was singing the loudest, man, but, and, you know, God loves me. I feel shameful about that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of this. Maybe there's somebody who thinks that, but I think the text actually tells us differently why so many people got involved in such a powerful way. The text literally says that the people, their heart was stirred. Their heart was stirred. And I take that to mean that they understood the gravity of what they had done. That these people understood that God had said, I am your God, you worship me. And just because they got a little impatient, they decided to give their worship to something else. I think they understood that. And, and maybe they felt a little shame, but instead of feeling shame, they felt like, but God still wants us to do this. God still wants us to be together. God still wants to be our God. And so maybe more than shame, 
maybe more than feeling guilty, maybe, maybe more than just feeling some sense of responsibility or obligation, what they felt was we can still be a part of the work of God. The text says, sisters and brothers, their heart was stirred. Y'all with me? I hope you're with me because, you know, a few weeks ago I, I got in trouble. Is Jaslyn here? Because Jaslyn heard me tell y'all stop going to church. And uh, if I understood, she looked at me and said, what did he say? He better be joking. Remember, you got, you got, I got in trouble and that's okay. Because I'm about to say something else that if she's listening, I might get in trouble again. So just, you know. And of course, when I told you to stop going to church, you know, I didn't mean stop coming here. I meant stop being in just the routine, but to come and experience the grace and the majesty of God. So I'm going to tell you something else that's kind of similar. I think we need to stop giving, too. I think we need to stop giving and start offering to God. As I've seen it, there are sort of three levels that this can work, and I'm sure there may be more, but here's the three that I have that I have seen over and over countless times. That A lot of times, people in the church, we have this sense of, well... What do I want to donate to the church? What do I want to donate to God? And here's the, here's the only problem I have with that. You know, when I donate something, what I am telling you is what I'm going to give. What I am telling you is this is what you're going to get from me and that's it. And what we do when we donate something We're up here and we're telling whoever it is, whatever it is that we're donating, that this is what you're getting from me. Is that really what you want to tell God? And then maybe we realize, I don't really want to donate to God. It just feels kind of icky inside. And so, no, no, I don't tell God what I'm going to give God. But, But you know what? I give to God. And that sounds a little bit better. And that is a little bit better if you think about what it means. Because giving something is is me giving a gift there's some sort of change of possession right and that's an okay way to think about how we give to god but even that's a little incomplete because all we're doing is just passing along something that we feel like we already own and we already have and most of us we we've heard we've understood at least at some point that that's not how we view what we receive from god we understand that god's the one that's given it to us And so we don't donate. We don't just give. We offer. Because in our understanding of offering, there is a sense, not of me telling you what you're going to get from me, and not even just a mere exchange of possession. There is a strong sense of sacrifice. You read through Scripture, and you see these times when the people brought offerings that's exactly what it was a sacrifice no no literally (laughs) it was you took your goat or you took your baby lamb or you took your animal that you would have used for something good either to eat or to farm or whatever and you took it and you brought it to the temple of god you brought it to the altar of god maybe you got all the children around and you put it in different bowls and then you had a guy like me take a knife and he go and you know what he would do he would sacrifice your offering. And what we need to understand again is that sense 
of our relationship to God is still the same. You can't outgive God. You can't give something to God that God doesn't already have available. The best thing that you and I can do as people of God is to offer what we have to God. And, and I want you to appreciate the, the mindset that's different, right? That's a different mindset than if I'm donating and saying, here, it's my vacuum. It's even a little bit different if I say, here's a nice gift for me because I like you so much. It's saying, God, you've given me everything already. And the best way that I can respond is to begin to offer and to sacrifice what I have for your glory. Are y'all with me? Because I've noticed over, you know, what, 12, 13 years of, of preaching that anytime you talk about giving, people get real quiet. Christians are funny people, y'all. I started the sermon one time and I said, all right, today we're going to talk about the M word. Nobody in church wants to talk about the M word. And everybody said, oh, you mean money? They're not talking about money. We we're talking about Mary that day. You know, some people get a little uncomfortable talking about Mary. Why are we so uncomfortable talking about money? Maybe it has a little too much tighter grip on us than we want to admit. Because when I talk about prayer, oh, yes, Lord, we need prayer. When we talk about reading the Bible, yes, Lord, I want to learn how to read the Bible. We tell I come to church, yeah, I like going to church, it's good. And we talk about giving, well, preacher, you need to stay out of my business. Oh, do I? Okay. <laughs> I told you before, my vision for our church, for this church here, is that we, first and foremost, would be a praying church. That this church, somebody were just a come and, and, and drive by and to walk by. I don't know how they would know, but they would just know, man, that's a, those people must be praying or something. That's my first vision of our church, that we would be a praying church and that we'd be a serving church. The other vision I have for our church is that we would be a tithing church. Why? Because there is still a lot of work of God to be done. There is still so much that God wants us to do. Now, you may hear some preachers say that if you give to God, God will bless you. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever heard a preacher say that? Next time somebody says that, I want you to punch him in the earlobe. Don't believe that nonsense. To me, that's nothing but prosperity junk. I don't believe that if you give to God, God will bless you. Here's what I believe. Here's what I've experienced. Here's what I've seen over and over that if you offer to God, God will honor your sacrifice. And that is something more meaningful, something more deeper than just God will bless you if you give God stuff. If you offer to God, God will honor your sacrifice. I've seen that. Time and time and time again. One time I was talking to somebody, and I don't even know how it came out. And said, oh, you know, we give our tithe. Talking about me and my family, you know, we give our tithe to the church. And the, the look on the person's face was, what? They said, so you pay your own salary? No, I don't pay my salary. I give my offering to God. And I give my offering to God because that's how one way that I honor God with my life.
Y'all with me? I want us to be tithers, not so that we can have bigger buildings, not so that we can have bigger salaries. And if you don't believe me, you think I'm just up here blowing smoke. You talk to any of our leaders in your church and they'll ask you what I think about bigger buildings and bigger salaries. We've had discussions. Matter of fact, some of our finance people, I think I get on their nerves because they keep talking about money, money, money and dollars and dollars and numbers. And numbers. I'm like, well, I don't really care. It'll work itself out. Am I right, Johnny? I think Johnny hates me. <laughs> because if we offer to God, God will honor that sacrifice. There's no way you can convince me otherwise because I've lived it. I've experienced it. We've given our tithe. We've given everything we had to all the churches we've been a part of, even when it felt very uncomfortable to do so. Because sometimes it felt very uncomfortable to do so. Are y'all with me? <laughs> very uncomfortable to do so. But if you look at our budget, we have it on a piece of paper. You have our income and the very first line. You know what that very first line is? In the Fletcher household, tithe. We call it first fruits. You give God first of what you have. Not because you're trying to get in good with God, not because you're trying to get God to bless you, but because you know God has been faithful to you. And if God has been faithful to you, sister and brother, you can be faithful to God. I'm not trying for us to build bigger buildings and to have parking lots and things like that. I'm talking about us being able to do some real work of God. I want you to I want you to do something with him. I want you to play a little imagination game with me. I want you to think about think about this. What if our church, this church here, this little church here, what if we what if we could completely sponsor an orphanage somewhere in the world? How awesome would that be? What if instead of one orphanage, we could sponsor two orphanages? What if we could make sure that every child in Corpus Christi had something to eat every single day? Imagine, what if we could teach people who don't know how how to read so that then they would be confident and they could feel ready to conquer the world and to do something good. What if we could start a new church in another area? What if we could help missionaries around the world spread the good news of Jesus Christ? What if we, me, you, 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 what if? Do you have any what ifs for your church? Do you have any what ifs? Like, what if we could blank? Would, have you ever thought that? I hope you think that. If you don't think that, I'm not going to say shame on you, but start thinking it. What if we could fill in your blank? Right, I, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Ready? Just think, think quietly. I'm going to ask you the question. You just spurt out whatever comes to your mind. What if we could... What if we could? Y'all want to do one thing? That's it? Come on, y'all. What if we could? 
What if we could what? Use some divine imagination. What if we could do some real work of God? How awesome would that be, sisters and brothers? Let me answer my question myself. Pretty awesome. But we can't do those things if we're giving God what's left. Old vacuums. 